Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. We have Amir today. Amir runs an employee-based business, um, you know, kind of very specific like 401k plans, you know, and working with employers and small businesses in the States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we kind of want, you know, can you just briefly explain what that is? And then, you know, but not get into so much detail, but we'll take it back to kind of how to before, how you started in business, you know, and kind of what got you into that. Was it your parents, you know, was it by accident, you know, and just kind of explaining that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and just, um, so, so the company is, is NetWealth um, that I've been here working on. Um, the main business reason that I've been here is because, you know, you have these very talented people, both in Colombia and coming from Venezuela, that, you know, are looking for work, need, you know, help, and we need help building this thing. So we have uh, graphic designers and programmers on staff over here. And uh, the company NetWealth is the, it's a disruptive model in the employee benefit space mm-hmm. where before you were dealing with someone who was commissioned and licensed uh, to earn commissions to sell products that may or may not be a fit for those individuals that they're being sold to. And they're being sold by somebody who's a middleman who's who's driven to make sales right our our model is we don't earn commissions we we actually we provide a service and our compensation is based on how the the employees are rating our service and our service is wealth and wellness training mm-hmm. so net wealth n e t w e l l t h is bringing wealth and wellness training into the workplace and so why wealth and wellness training? Because, and most people don't realize this, but you know how intertwined they are in every decision that we make, right? So as an example, if you have money, but you don't have health, mm. right? <clears throat> you got nothing and you know it, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. All of a sudden money doesn't matter, right? And when you got health and you don't have money, you're probably going to lose your health. It's only a matter of time. Yep. So there's this statistic that top 3% of income earners outlive the bottom 3% of income earners by an average of 15 years. 15? 15 years. Wow. And so what that really means is the top have behavioral cycles mm-hmm. that help them live more healthy, you know, their, their minds are more balanced lives where the bottom 3% they're in a constant state of you know scouring and scavenging and you know finding and trying to put out problems the same repetitive problems and so our job isn't to tell you what you can and can't do with your money that's your money mm-hmm. our job is to bring to your attention what you are doing right and so if you're going into debt during the holiday season every single year and then spending the next seven to 11 months paying it off, listen up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people that, do that, that live like that. <laughs> you're on the hamster wheel. And, and it's not necessarily your fault, right? Because almost 100% of the information that we're consuming through media is fed to us in, in to get us motivated to consume, to get us to take action on pulling money out of our pockets that we've worked hard for, paid Uncle Sam his share for. <laughs> and, and now we're going we're gonna to purchase something that we're going to consume and poof, both are going to be gone. <laughs> That's consumption, right? right. We're, not, we're not taught to take that dollar and turn it into $2 or $3. That would be too capitalistic, entrepreneurial, right? Right. You got got to have him, you know, the rich and you got to have the poor, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're just not given the proper education that is at the top, just a, it's a behavior. That's how they look at money, right? right? And so what ends up happening with our training is people start changing their relationship with money start becoming more aware of the decisions that they're making versus the outcome that they're receiving or desire to receive. And it's a self, you know, journey. And, and our coaches, we're not, we're not salespeople. We can't sell products. 
our wealth coaches, you know, go on site at four times a year and we provide these, you know, curriculum of, of this education of how to, you know, mindset and, you know, like, how do you take a, your current situation, identify what you like about it, what you don't like about it, and then start making decisions in your life that will help support, you know, the desired outcome that you're looking to achieve, right? Awesome. And, so this is about like empowering employees as well. That you, you nailed the, the word is empower. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, and it begins with the, the structure for compensation. Right. You, there, there's no financial advisor out there who gets paid, you know, makes a living to sell financial products to people who have money, who has a, a, a true interest in helping middle America get through tough times like this and, you know, to prosper. The mm-hmm. system isn't set up that way. Right. And so we specialize in 401ks with 100, for companies with 100 to 1,000 employees because when we walk in, you know, 100 to 1,000 employees are our clients. When a financial advisor walks in, you know, to a company that has 100 employees, somewhere around 85, 90% of them can't even afford the products that these financial advisors sell. So how much of a prospect are they? How much of a service are they give, providing <laughs> these 85, 90% of people? They're not trying to sell them a term life insurance policy. <laughs> you know, something they can afford. <laughs> so, you know, the system, the system is, is uh, antiquated um, and people know it. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to know it, and and we're providing an alternative uh, service that doesn't exist in the marketplace right now. Yeah. And so we, we we feel yeah we feel great about that. That that's the exciting part. But it's taken me um, fifteen years <laughs> in the making. In the making. Awesome. Yeah. Can, can, can you tell us a bit, a bit about that? You know, before you got into the business, you know, you can even take about to when you're younger. How did how did you get into this entrepreneurial space to begin with? You know, what were you doing before this business? Yeah. You know, where, where, where are you from? Is it and all that? Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my parents brought us here. I was born in Pakistan in Karachi, Pakistan. And my, my sister, one year younger than me, um, my parents brought us here in 1980. I was two and, um, you know, School was the big, you know, like value that we grew up with is no matter what, you got to get good grades in school and you got to finish, you know, higher education, right? Mm -hmm. And then you do whatever the heck you want, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But age, age nine, I, I went to a CVS uh, pharmacy that was going out of business my mom with my mom and there was a, a big rack of you know the like six seven packs of bubblicious yeah you know, you, know, just, <laughs> and it, you know it's one of those like christmas tree racks you know so mm. and there's just it's full of gum just hanging right <laughs> and it was like 80 percent off or something ridiculous it was just an obnoxious business was about to close and there was probably it was more than I could afford. I remember I wasn't able to buy it out, but I, I took my savings mm-hmm. and I sold gum for the next probably month, month and a half, something like that. You're selling gum. Okay. And what made you want to sell gum? Like, how did you get that idea? Cause I mean, I looked at, I looked at that tree of gum that said 80% off and then I looked at each pack and then I saw five pieces of gum in each pack and mm-hmm. six pieces or six packs in each, you know, leaf. And so there was 30 pieces there, you know, and I just like multiplied it. And I'm like, I could get a quarter each for, you know, a piece <laughs> of gum. And yeah. so then I was like, all right, well, I got to buy a fanny pack. And so I factored that in, you know, and I was the gum guy. I was, in <laughs> fact, you know, that one uh, that one trip, that one purchase lasted about a month. I remember I'm coming home and I just had a mound. I opened it all up individually, just a mound of gum. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you can't, 
you can't chew your own supply. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, I knew that back then. It's crazy. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. You didn't. <laughs> I didn't. That's <laughs> okay. No, so I sold the the gum, but that was like one month. And I bought Air Jordans. I bought Air Jordans with my money. And then I also went and found more gum. I, I took a loan from my mom for my second gum. <laughs> you know, and I did the same thing. And I was probably for like, probably for like a year, I'd say. I was the gum guy, dude. I stood in the same place in between classes. And there's just people walking out. There's a line of people, quarter, quarter. I'm just like, there you go. There you go. And I'm just collecting quarters. Dude. Yeah. You know? So it's been in my blood my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, like my dad is a, a merchant of sorts. So he, he, uh, he came here and $60 wife, two kids. Can't imagine. Cannot wow. imagine. 1980. And my uncle was here. We were on food stamps. And where uh, is this parents. in the States? Buffalo, New York. Okay, cool. Yeah. Which, till this day, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> why there? Yeah, why? Why? Mm-hmm. They didn't want us there, and I don't know why we wanted to be there. So, yeah. <laughs> it just worked out that way. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's an interesting place to grow up. But, um, you know, it, it just... Um, you were about to say something. Or? So, so when they, so when, so when your parents moved there, were they, did they, you know, start a business, or were they merchants back in Pakistan, or were they merchants in the U.S. as well? Well, my mom, she, her role was take care of the kids at home. Okay. And my, my dad, we, we didn't see him because he was out working really? all day, and by the time we, he got home, we were asleep, and. Um, he sold like blouses, shirts. It was a little hippie era back then. And mm-hmm. uh, he would go to the flea market and on the weekends buy and sell those things. And then he got a, a Oriental rug and he sold the Oriental rug. He had great margin in it, bought, you know, two Oriental rugs and, and so on and so forth. And within two years of being in the United States, we were making, you know, I know this now, but I didn't know it back then, but, we were making over a hundred thousand dollars a year back then, and it's mm. like the equivalent to three, four hundred thousand dollars now. Yeah, you know? pretty good money. <clears throat> yeah, and it was all cash. It was a, it was a, it was a good business. So that was the business my dad stayed in. Um, put my sister and I through college. My sister went on to Wall Street. She's accomplished mm-hmm. very big things, mm-hmm. and um, so you, you know, decided she, to go through through college at that point. Did you have like? Did you know what was your plan at that point? Was it college, finish college, and get a get a career? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I so it was about having to be in school. I didn't have the option. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. It was like, look, you're you're entrepreneurial. That's great. You want to go into business? That's great. We we want this for you. We want you to be happy. Just finish. And then do whatever you want, right? And so I finished undergrad. Um, I hopped around. I was able to go to four different colleges and universities, including NC State, yeah, Buff State, University of Buffalo, and what made you bounce around a lot? Maybe it was I didn't really like school. Maybe <laughs> I was ADHD and got bored. Um, you know, I don't know. Okay. Did <laughs> yeah. you have Did you have side hustles at that point? Yeah. 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 Always, yeah, yeah. They weren't necessarily legal. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, if you could talk about, it, well, I don't know if you could talk about it, but um. it's, it's legal in some states now. But you know, I mean, hey, you know, it was yeah. a means for, for, yeah, it was a means for, uh, you know, being able to live the the financial life that I wanted to live in college. So, right. I, Did you learn a lot in that business, though? Yeah. The hustle. Yeah. 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 What'd you say is the number one thing? If you get I mean, I know you may, you may not be going into detail if you know if you don't want, but yeah. <laughs> what do you take yeah. away from that? I would take away um the lesson of supply and demand. It it, mm. it as as economic one on one as it sounds, when you have something that has an unlimited demand, that's 
that's this business that for those that might not put two and two together, I was selling cannabis. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, 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 it might as well just be legal everywhere by this point. <laughs> right, 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 right. And listen, there's no shortage of people who want to buy that. Right. Right. And so you, you learn almost what the perfect business model is. Mm-hmm. The perfect business model is from the entrepreneur seat is one that you can't keep up with the demand. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and, and there's not really a standard of service that you're held to. You're just transacting. So, the, you know, in a transaction based model, endless demand is the ideal structure. Mm-hmm. Right. When you understand that, when you truly get that, it sets a baseline for your understanding of how other businesses will work, right? So when you don't have to worry about demand, that, you know, that's, that's a frozen element. That's a variable in your business model that you don't have to influence. You don't have to spend time trying to get it, you know, and so you can focus on other things. And then I went from that to selling life insurance where there's no demand. How was that jump going from that to selling life insurance? It was brutal. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, they're completely different, you know, uh, no. lifestyles, businesses. No, it, I'm, I'm one of those people. I never knew that I like, self-infliction of pain until I look back and I see the de- these types of decisions. <laughs> because if you want to make your life a living nightmare, <laughs> right, for the next three to five years, let's say, I'm talking dry heaving when you first thing when you wake up in the morning from the stress, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking losing hair, watching your hair as you're getting off uh, out of bed still on the pillow. I'm talking your whole body broken out from, from stress and you're eating. You just, you have no eating habits whatsoever. You're just malnourished, <laughs> anxiety driven, <laughs> you know, walking bag of, you know, like, just like, I'm going to make this happen. That's just what, that's the only thing that I had that was keeping me going was this like blind faith Mm. that things were going to get easier, you know, but I can tell you that in that transition, going from a business that has endless demand to a business that has no demand, right? The, the factor that kept me committed was I'm going from a business that had no reoccurring revenue, like one client, even though they're a reoccurring customer, it's not one transaction that keeps money coming back, mm-hmm. right? Where in this business, it's I have to sell it one time. I have to transact it one time, this life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get paid as long as they pay their premiums every single month. Right. Right. Now, that's the, that's the pie in the sky utop- utopian model that you you know, want to believe in that will keep on driving you. The reality is that I was there for five years and I was a top performer from day one. They put me in, you know, magazines. I was in Time Magazine and a Northwestern Mutual, you know, full page ad. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened like three times, you know. I was on stage all the time. They were sending me to, you know, sales trainings in various parts of the country and you know, I was, I was a top performer and I think my recurring revenue when I left there from them was about $800 a month. Right. Right. And so, you know, conceptually got great love the whole reoccurring, you know, revenue concept. What made and, you such a top performer? Um, <laughs> that's great. That's a great mindset question. Um, <clears throat> Truth of the matter, man, I think, um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not like recommending anybody does this or puts okay, okay. themselves hey, disclaimers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I, 
put more pressure on myself than anybody possibly could, right? And so what that meant was, oh, there's this program, there's this thing called 40 under 40. That means you get 40 new clients in your first 40 days of being a licensed insurance agent. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I never went into this to be a freaking insurance agent. I never said I'm going to get out of school and my entrepreneurial, you know, drive is going to be down the path of becoming a life insurance agent. It was, you know, I wanted to be a financial consultant, right? I wanted to work in markets. Okay. And and Northwestern Mutual gave me the title of financial representative. But they trained me how to sell insurance. (laughs) 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 And, you know, it wasn't the worst thing. You know, it was like hardcore sales training. I mean, it really was that challenge of how do I take something that has no demand, right? Mm -hmm. And in my first 40 days, get 40 new clients, right? They, so they, there's only 3% of the new reps that come on that make, the 40 under 40. I mean, hell, I didn't know it, but it was like 80% don't even make it the first 30 days. Right? They're out. They've gotten licensed. They've gone through training. They've gotten licensed. Now they're in the field trying to sell and they're out. Right? So like damn near 80%. Right? And then you go two months and it's like 90%. Yeah. And so, you know, just making it three months, I think, makes puts you in like the, I'd say in the in the ten top ten percent. Mm-hmm. And forty under forty for me, it was just this challenge that if somebody else has done this, I'm gonna crush it. <laughs> I don't care who it is, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like just, I don't know if it was that level of, um you know, almost like it's, it's like an innocent arrogance, you know, it's like, uh, uh, I just didn't know any better. It was just me, you know, and my ego. Mm-hmm. And at and this point, how, how old were you at this point? I'm 21 at this point. Oh, young. Okay. Yeah. I'm really young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is my first, this is my first 40 days in the professional quote unquote professional real world. Mm-hmm. Right before that, my job was to be a student, right. and you know, my side hustle was just my my business. <laughs> you know, it was just what I wanted okay. to do. So you're in the so you're selling life insurance. Years go by. You know, what you, do you start something at some point or invest in something? Like, what is your plan at that point? You know, or you know, what what happened that made you change route? You know, well, I mean, the first five years of doing this, it was every person that I looked at was a prospect. It was a, it might as well have been a sickness. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I have this agenda in my mind for every hand I shake. Right. And I knew this is not the life I want to live. Like this is brutal for me. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Right. Yeah. You start in this business. The first thing was project 200, write down, on index cards, 200 index cards, the names of 200 people that will have a conversation with you about your new career and how, you know, you might be able to get some referrals from them. You're not trying to sell them. You're trying to get referrals from them. Right. And that was the most difficult thing. You know, I mean, on one hand I had this ego (laughs) and on this other hand, I'm, you know, kind of hat in hand asking people to, to help me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, it all is a lot more clear now as I'm telling you this, but at that time, it's just a mind fuck. I mean, you're just mm-hmm. like, what am I doing? You know, like for what? And in a lucky month, I might make a couple grand in normal months. I'm like in the hundreds. I mean, like, <laughs> how am I surviving? You know? And it was a combination of just like, you know, grit and and gumption and you know this determination of i'm not gonna classify myself as someone who hasn't been able to make 
it in this industry, in this business, right? I mean, so all the losers went to the banks, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> you, you can't work off of a hundred percent commission, you know, and build something. <clears throat> you belong in a bank. You want to be in finance, go to the bank, you know, get your $30,000 a year at that time and go sit in a cubicle. The clients will come. You can't prospect, go to the bank, right? Right. But in my mind, I was like, everything that I've like worked on business-wise, I've been able to make it happen. And that's what I'm going to do. <clears throat> and I'm this ultra social person, even though I consider myself an introvert. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know? So, but people really like me and gravitate towards me. And so like... I, you know, I think mm-hmm. everybody at some point in their life, and fortunately for me, it was at a young age out of pure need to survive, but everybody needs, if they want to be successful in business, they, and, and if they're not truthful with this, it's only hurting them and nobody else. They have to be able to look in the mirror mm-hmm. and they genuinely have to know what they have working for them and what they have working against them, right? And it might be external factors and it might be internal factors and it might be, you know, almost like existential factors. <laughs> like, how do you see yourself? You know what I'm saying? Like right. you, you go into, you, you cover all those areas and you, you see it for the purity that it is is the only way that you can then embark on where your passions lie and where you will naturally excel. Right. You know, I, I hear people say things like, you know, they'll be working at, at whatever job and they'll be like, ah, well, serving is my passion as a waitress or a waiter. And as much as that might be true, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like they genuinely might have a heart for, for serving others. Right. As much as that's true, they're also the ones that, you know, are constantly complaining about their finances. And so I can't imagine that that is a passion of yours. Complaining about money is not part of the passion, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, like, you, in order to see this clearly and align, like, what you're, what you're meant to do on this planet, like, you're, you're, your genuine purpose, right? With what you genuinely like and enjoy doing, right? I mean, you would think it would go hand in hand, but you know, there's other factors that, that require us to do things that we don't want to do sometimes, right? But if you can, if you can in, a, in a very pure way, align your, your desires, your talents, your actions, and your mm-hmm. intentions, right? You have this pure approach to it you're gonna you're gonna excel it's gonna be natural right what were the things that would make you realize that you know put what 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 things did you put to put together that realize hey i need to do this you know this is what i can do this is what i you know i'm not good at <laughs> yeah for me i mean i i um obviously I you're a really great salesperson at this point well well so you know <laughs> you've, you've forced yourself right yeah so, i mean this is the thing is like even till today today i don't consider myself a good salesperson really i don't consider myself why, a good why is that what do you consider yourself as i consider myself an an empathetic person okay and so i can put myself in the shoes of my clients and i can genuinely help them and actually help them and trackably quantifiably help them and like, i've mm-hmm. And through, throughout time, that's, that's been my greatest asset, right? But if I was forced to just think like a salesperson and be like, whatever you give me, I'm going to sell and I'm a great <laughs> salesperson, right? I don't think I could achieve, you know, this part of it. And so when I look at what is needed in order to have a successful business, you have to be a hell of a salesperson. You have to sell, Right. And then you, in the service-based business, professional service providers like us, you have to genuinely care. That's what's going to make you great, right? Caring. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the empathy that I have is what's given me my success. I've worked with over 10,000 retirement accounts, stood in front of hundreds of people on stage and talked to them about their retirements, you know? Mm -hmm. And if I was just standing up there, you know, talking about black and white, here's, you know, finances 101. And this is what I learned. It was like, I was connected with all 200 plus people in, you know, in that audience, right. because over 90% of them participate in the 401k after my, my talks. And so, you know, that is worth a lot of money, right? And, and you know, on the outside, you, someone can say, well, you, you're great at sales because you just stood in front of all those people and, and sold them. And yes, I did sell them. I get that. But I don't think I sold them. I, it wasn't what I went on there, you know, with, with that, that wasn't the perspective that I was speaking from. I was speaking from the perspective of, look, all of us in this room, including myself, mm-hmm have this crazy thing called our human economic life value. And that means that assuming we have plan A, which is to live instead of plan B, which is die to die or become disabled. (laughs) There is no plan C. Mm -hmm. Assuming we have plan A at some point, no one's going to hire us because there's going to be someone quicker, better, faster, and cheaper behind us. And so that's all right. Now that we know that, I mean, we can go underneath the mattress where we've been stacking money for 30 years. You know, we can go in the backyard where we've been burying it for 30 years. <laughs> we can go into our savings account, our checking account, our IRA or our 401k or our brokerage accounts or our real estate holdings when that happens. And if we can't do that, well, we have the government as well. So if we, you know, elect to go towards the social safety net, you know, we can go on to welfare and other programs, social security, you know, I don't even acknowledge its existence because mm-hmm. I don't believe it's going to be around for me. But if you want to, you can factor that in. But that's the <laughs> simplicity of it. <laughs> Let's not get so confused by this. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, we, we've all been trained that our finances are this ultra private You know, like even our best friends, the people we consider closest in our lives, our own blood, don't know our finances. And the thing is, is that doesn't crazy. (laughs) Well, the crazy part is this. It's not that they don't know it. It's that we don't know it. Yeah. If we knew it, we could talk about it. We've been trained not to. So there's this invisible barrier. What do you think it is? Why is it so taboo? Why do you think? Well, the truth of the matter is, is because there's a hierarchy to society. Mm. And, you know, there's pieces of information that for the greater good of the society are best unkept. Right? So the, the greater society isn't educated on how to amass wealth. The greater society is educated and conditioned and programmed to consume. In the United States, we are consumers. Consume, consumption doesn't amass wealth. <laughs> Not at all. It's the anti, right? And so if you, if you look at your own education, you'll see that there's nothing in there about how to amass wealth over the long-term period. As an employee, see, the beauty of it is you don't have to be a business owner. I've taken four mechanics, mechanics, to a million dollars in their 401k plans. 99% of people who start businesses aren't ever going to see that. 99.9% of people who start businesses are never going to see that. Mm -hmm. This guy, these guys are technicians, specialized technicians but they had the discipline. The crazy thing is, is all of them, all four of them, it was between 35 and 40 years of maxing out their 401k plans that they became millionaires. So, you know, you could do that as a salesperson. You could do that as a, you know, administrator, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. These guys weren't making more than a hundred, hundred and ten, twenty thousand $20,000 a year. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And they weren't always making that either. And so the point is, is that they somehow got a, a set of education or set of values that the other 99.9% of the population didn't get. Right. Right. And that set of values was based on long-term wealth. They never questioned. See, when I'm talking to people about this, the weaker ones, the weakest objection is what if I don't make it? (laughs) Right. What if I don't, yeah, I can't touch this money until I'm 60 years old. What if I don't make it? And my response is what if you do? Yeah, unless you're planning on dying. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right? Like what happens if you do? You know, so Mm -hmm. so you know, there's people who live their life in a mentality of scarcity, gotta live for the moment, spend what you got now, you know, and forget about tomorrow. It may or may not be, right? And then there's others that live their life in, you know, this concept of deferred gratification mm-hmm. and the, yet, the best is yet to come. And every day I become stronger, right? And these are the savers. This is the mindset, not only for, you know, long-term financial wealth, but for leading anything in your life. You're either mm-hmm. going to be a victim of circumstance or you're going to pave your own path, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I think that anybody in their 20s and 30s, you know, whether it's they're working and they feel that they have this entrepreneurial thing, you know, um, or whether they're out there, you know, trying to sell life insurance, <laughs> you know? I mean, between 20 and 30, it's it's a matter of, gathering intelligence on you because you have no idea right as in like getting to know who you are is what you're referring to what you're good at which okay you know like what you're what you're good at what you're what you enjoy what you don't enjoy you know from the from like 20 to 30 do it all do what you don't like to do because that's what you're how you're growing you know Mm -hmm. being uncomfortable is the only way you grow right and so you you always that's one aspect of you know, like you, the gray area between this is you might think you might not like it. That's your mind saying, I don't like this. Right. And your spirit is the one that's uncomfortable. You gotta, you gotta have the distinction between the two, because if you're uncomfortable is the only way you are growing, you are embarking on something that's new. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you want to embrace the heck out of that. You want that to be a mindset of the successful do habitually those things that unsuccessful people are not willing to do. Mm-hmm. It's the same feeling of uncomfort. The unsuccessful one says, I don't want to feel this uncomfort. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to go back to my place of comfort mm-hmm. working at the bank or whatever it is. Right. And, and did you learn this through trial and error or, or did you have like a mentor or read books on this? Like, how did you get to this mindset? Um, well, like I said, I, for me, I, <laughs> I, I don't recommend that you do it my path. Right. You know, because I like uh, the pressure. Yeah. Lewis, I met you, you know, let's say about a year, year and a half ago. Right. And mm-hmm. how old are you now? It's 26. Okay. So you're 24, 25 years old when we met. And I consider you light years ahead of the game from where I was at 24 and 25. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I share my story not as a, you know, this is what you, you or anyone in their 20s should do, right? Like the way I did it, right? I, the lesson, however, that I learned was that this, this is the period where you become intelligent about you, right? Now, you can do it. Because you're smarter than me and you have, you know, more attention, you know, and and you're not running around like the nut job that I was running around, you know, trying to figure things out and eat and survive. And, you know, you can, you can do the self-development stuff now, Mm -hmm. right? For me, I was in my 20s, 30s, just like bang your head against the wall, you know, it's bleeding and you just put a patch on it and go bang your head against the wall again. And, you know, 
that there's a saying that everyone has to get hit in the face with the two by four. Every single one of us have to get whacked in the you, face. You, with two you needed to get, you needed to get whacked. <laughs> the only difference is how many times before uh, you get it. Right. right? I had to get whacked a lot. I don't want anyone to get whacked as much as I got whacked. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, so it's, I, not necessary. It's, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Learn. That, 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 I see why you said that you maybe you liked pain or, you know, I don't need self-inflicting pain earlier. Right. right. But, you know, those were different times too, you know, like, so that was, mm. that was like, there was a, only the analog way of figuring things out. Right? right. And so what I mean, an example of that is, you know, somewhere in India, Somewhere thousand plus years ago, they were practicing medicine in caves, right? And the medicine they were practicing was actually working. It's called Ayurveda. It's the oldest, you know, uh, organized medicine in existence, right? Mm. And it was actually working, healing all sorts of diseases, right? And then, you know, in the States, not that long ago, um, you know, the pill, the invention of Western medicine and this concept of healing from the outside in rather than from the inside out, right, was going on. And the life expectancy went from mid-40s on the eastern hemisphere of the world to, you know, in the 70s in the western hemisphere of the world in a very short amount of time, Mm -hmm. right? And it was because of western medicine and, and being able to keep people alive longer, right? Now, there's still the question of, you know, the quality of your life, right? I mean, but the fact was that people were living longer, right? And the crazy thing is, is that before this thing that we call the internet, that we're just so accustomed to knowing and understanding, one didn't talk to the other, right? (laughs) So you had practitioners like Deepak Chopra, who got his Eastern training in a cave, pretty much. I mean, Ayurvedic medicine. And then came to the Western world and became a board certified surgeon and, you know, Western mm-hmm. medicine as well. And then somebody who takes those hemispheres of knowledge and pushes them out in an extremely uniquely positioned. Um, that's why there's only one Deepak Chopra. There will always be one Deepak Chopra, right? Because he's, his pedigree is so unique and his intelligence on, and is so high on both of the, those hemispheres that he can, his message is, is very impactful. Right. Mm-hmm. The crazy thing is, is we all right here have the Eastern secrets and the Western secrets of life, right? Of all time, <laughs> right? It literally is right here, right? And so if we look at technology for the tool that it is, the, the education that it is, right? We can question every conventional model that exists. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks. There's a guy, his name is Vishan, uh, Vishan Lakiani. He's the CEO of Mind Valley. You know Mind Valley? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And his mission is to change the way that education is administered and executed throughout the world. And his his foundation and his platform his of, of you know why we should do this of why the, it makes sense to do this is because in the conventional way we spend about the first 15 years of our life educating ourselves to solve problems that may or may not exist for the other 85 percent of our lives right mm, i see what you're saying and we're seeing that it is a broken model, right? We've got all these highly educated people who don't have jobs, right? And really don't have any purpose, right? Like they, their specialty of knowledge is not in demand. It's not in existence. It's a problem that we've evolved past, right? And I think we're about to start seeing it even more, especially with after COVID and then, you know, how everything just went online completely. It's, I'm sure it's going to disrupt the university systems, everything, commercial real estate, you know, we can have a whole nother conversation of <laughs> the before and after of COVID. Right? Yeah. I mean, what, and I'd love to, I, I, I would love to, maybe I can do the podcast and you can be my guest Yeah, on that because we have ours as well. So, um, 
but anyway, so, so his solution is what if we could educate ourselves 15% of every year to best prepare us for that year, right? Mm-hmm. Or 15% of every day. How about that, right? If, and I would say that as an entrepreneur, it, would, it should be on a daily basis more than on an annual basis, right? As an entrepreneur, you need to have your thumb on the pulse of this ever-changing market and this mm-hmm. ever-changing landscape that you are operating in, right? And so that, that's education. That's education to stay relevant, education to stay ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, and be a leader in your industry, uh, but I know we're going we're going off a little bit. <laughs> you know the 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 whole mindset of of twenties to thirties and like getting yourself, um, I, I would say, positioned for success. Okay, if if you're able to make money in in your twenties and thirties, like significant money, consider yourself blessed, lucky, whatever you want to call it. But also consider that as more than likely statistically speaking you know just one one hit one home run don't think that it's sustainable mm-hmm. you know sustainable wealth is a whole nother game right in the entrepreneurial world right right so like you look at the likes of like bill gates or you know these steve jobs these huge icons right who've who had success at a very early age and then were able to maintain it right that's not the norm. You know, <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's millionaires, you know, at a very young age right now, but you know, they're hot one day or year and they're not the next day or year and they crash, you know? And, and so the likelihood statistical likelihood is, is that your, your short-term wealth, you're knocking it out of the park, one transaction or one business or whatever. Going back to the one transaction thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I've seen that, you know, in particular, like in FBA businesses or some of the like dropshipping business, you know, there's a point where like they're making like 30, 40 grand a month. And then like a few months later, the whole business collapses for whatever reason, you know, something happened with the manufacturer or even an affiliate website, Google changed its algorithm and your whole website is destroyed. Um, and, and then there goes your wealth just like that. You know, it make a lot of money. It can, but then it's easy as that it can go away. So I, I, I know you, you have, uh, another show and and gotta get going. I gotta get going here as well. But if, if there was, um, you know, if this, if there was the strongest lesson that I learned in my, in my twenties and thirties for business that, that. I I could share and that I could think that everyone in business could benefit from is the, the concept of positioning. Mm -hmm. Okay. The concept of positioning is what will ultimately determine your success and or failure in any business. Right. And you just gave the example of, you know, a a business changes their algorithm or a website changes their algorithm or, you know, a, a big one is these uh, merchant account services. You know, they cut you off or they withhold your money or whatever they do, right? Whatever it is, is not their fault at all. It's the way they do business. Okay. You know, the way they do business, it's how you positioned yourself. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Okay. That, that is, that is causing whatever issue you're having, you know, in your business is how you're positioned. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, so you can, we could do a whole, you know, uh, segment on positioning, but every element, it goes back into the personal side of things where you are responsible 100% for your own world and nobody is coming to the rescue. If you understand those two factors, everything around you is because of you and nobody can save you is the basis for personal happiness and business, you know, success. Mm-hmm. And awesome. it's, the, it's the exact same thing with positioning. Position yourself so that you don't have outside variables determining whether you're going to get paid, right? Position yourself so you don't have outside websites that can change their algorithm and put you out of business, right? You might still use those services, but you also have backup services because that's exactly. how you positioned yourself. Exactly. Right? Also, that's just cool. this last question, you know, 
um, if you could, if you could give some at one piece of advice to the, say the 20, 30 year old, not, you know, that's like still not, doesn't know what they're doing with their life. You know, it's kind of like going about it just randomly, you know, what, what would it be? Uh, learn patience. People we're, we're, we're told our whole lives, be patient. And we equate it to, that means having to wait. That's not what it means. Mm-hmm. Being, being, being patient, being patient doesn't mean, this is my kid calling. We'll get you going. <laughs> yeah, be, being, being patient doesn't mean sitting in a waiting room. Right. Okay. Learn patience in your craft. For me, it was, I learned that one step had to be taken in front of the other step and there was no shortcuts, mm-hmm. right? In our twenties and thirties, especially for, for the driven entrepreneurs that are out there, we just want to get it. We just want the result, right? There's a, there's a huge path ahead of you, whether you want it or not, right? If you plan on living, right? <laughs> Your plan A, <laughs> there's a long path ahead of you. And you get to use every single day to make yourself one day better. Or you can choose to worry about it. Those are the only two things you can do every day. You can work or you can worry. Right? Patience means working towards what you, try, what you want to accomplish, what you're mm-hmm. trying to accomplish. So learn patience and, and soak it up. Become that sponge to become the best in what you're doing. Love it. Love it. Where can uh, people reach out to you if you know if they want to contact you for you know business reasons or they just want to you know say hey you know they love they love the podcast and what you had to say. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, uh, check out my website is netwealth.us, and if you want to get a hold of me, you can just get a hold of me through the website. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks awesome, again, man, man, for being thanks for being on the show, and I really appreciate. It. Always learn a lot from you. Um, so cool. I appreciate you taking the time to to get on the podcast. Very cool, brother. Great to great to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. Right. Take care. See ya.